This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. That's not cocaine, that's Grandpa. A 1950s show with a character named Trump trying to build a wall. Injecting sperm for your bad back? I tell you all about my brushes with comedian Tom Dreesen. And we have on Dwight Stone's Olympian. All this and lots of tangents on this week's Minutia Men. That is coming up right now. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Minutia Man Man. with Rick and Dave. <laughs> Dude, yeah. do that again. Can you do that again? Yeah. Take a deep breath, do that again. No, I can't. I can't. I've got one. I've got one yeah. in me, and that's it. And by the way, now. Yeah. Pipes sounded pretty good right now. Yeah, why don't you tell everybody yeah. what happened last couple days ago, or two days ago, or whatever. So we had our... Actually, I sound pretty good, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it, you know, what? Uh, Chris uh, Swick is one of our uh, producers mm-hmm. for the show. He said that he had to set yours a little bit differently, because your voice is a little thinner <laughs> oh, than mine. He didn't say that. <laughs> you're didn't. just saying, really? No, he really oh, said he did it. say that. Yeah. Okay, so Chris, if it's you're a, listening... It's a little thinner. Bite me. <laughs> well, not everybody can be blessed with well, the... Yeah, the dulcet tones. It's almost embarrassing. It's almost embarrassing. So, for those of you, you may not, most of you may not even notice this. Well, I'm, I don't know. If None of you it. will notice it. <laughs> but Rick has, like, for the last two and a half hours, just been talking to himself <laughs> in the microphone because the head, everything in the headphones now is richer. You know, because you know this is the truth. I had not heard myself in the headphones. Throughout this whole time, we were doing the show okay, so. because I had the settings setting correctly, but I thought I was hearing myself because I could hear my voice. Sure, right? It, you know, so it's a it's a long story. So, so you know what? Why don't I just take a couple of minutes so you can just talk for? Well, you know what? I won't <laughs> no, even show up. I won't even show up anymore. You can no, just good. you just talk to yourself. I, I come here on like Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. And just, just a, yeah, just, just suck it in. Well, you carry a microphone all the way around when you're at like the deli counter. You have a microphone. I do. I do. It just feels more natural that way. What was the Mr. Microphone ad? Hey, good looking. We'll come back to pick you up later. <laughs> Wasn't that it? <laughs> Me too. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Things don't translate very good yeah. from the 70s anymore. Right. Exactly. It's a different era. Uh, but it's still the era in which we present minutia. We do. To our listeners. And so let's do that uh, with the audio kickoff. This week's minutia with Rick and Dave. I believe this is the third week in a row we've got a missouri story fantastic and in honor of the chiefs i mean i'm, I'm even though that's can well kansas it's missouri uh, yeah i'm totally on board the chiefs bandwagon yeah who are they, they're playing against the patriots yeah, yeah i'm on their bandwagon <laughs> yeah, too right exactly osama bin laden and taliban could be playing <laughs> the patriots and i'd be come on osama what are you doing <laughs> dave used to hate the cubs so much that now i'd it's, say the cubs versus the nazis yeah, who, right yeah i think i'm going nazis <laughs> yeah just for the game though yeah. not you know maybe a season but just for the game um this happened out of saint or this happened in saint peter's missouri i don't know where saint peter's missouri if that's a saint louis or Kansas City. But headline, I think, is pretty good. Uh, teens arrested after stealing cremated remains, thinking it's cocaine. <laughs> oh, boy. Three teens are in custody after stealing a number of items. Including- have you ever seen cremated remains? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have. Because... Uh, like, that doesn't look anything like cocaine. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's uh, usually gray. Yeah, yeah, and it's flaky. And not that I've seen cocaine in the yeah. last 
Well, I, from what, years. I, from what I've read about cocaine. Yeah. I mean, I saw Scarface. Yeah, exactly. That was white. Yeah. Um, right? Well, evidently, these three guys in St. Peter's, Missouri right. may not have seen Scarface. Right. Perhaps not Mensa members. Uh, Deborah Matthews, who said that her house was burglarized. Um, what happened is that these guys, these kids came in, stole a bunch of stuff and thought the urn that probably said Grandpa Fletcher <laughs> right, on it exactly. was cocaine. Well, you know, they're just hiding the cocaine in the urn. That says, think about it, dude. If you were going to hide it, where would you put it? <laughs> so they so they took Grandpa's ashes and they tried snorting them. Yeah. Okay. They've been arrested because you're right. Not Mensa members. Um, and they were they were and they started when they were um, when they were being chased by the cops. They threw the ashes out the window. Just too. just as Grandpa had asked. <laughs> yeah. Scatter. Can you scatter my ashes on I seventy or during whatever? a high speed chase from the police? <laughs> so so there you go, Saint uh, Saint Peter's, Missouri. If you got three guys and they're asking you, hey, do you got any cocaine? Go just get some ashes and you might be able to make some money because they will not know what it is. So I have some minutia uh, that you might have heard about because it's, it's been getting a lot of press. But mm. there's uh, there was supposedly an episode of the 1950s Western TV series Trackdown, which I don't remember. Mm. I was born in 63. But anyway, it, f- it featured a snake oil salesman named Trump. <laughs> Yeah. Who promised to build a wall in order to prevent the end of the world. I've, I've seen this on now, social media. I heard this story. I saw it in social yeah. media just like you did. So I looked it up on Snopes because that's what I do now because right. there's so much fake news. Yeah, absolutely. And Snopes said it's true. It, it, it actually was. Um, let's see here. Uh uh, it was published. On, it's on YouTube if you want to find it, uh, along with the claim that it predicted Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. The episode aired on CBS in 1958 and was titled The End of the World. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Come on. Featuring actors, ac- actor Lawrence Dobkin playing the role of Walter Trump. And this is what it says on the classic TV archive, all right? Walter Trump, a confidence man, puts on a long robe and holds tent meetings in, ta- in the town of Talpa. He tells Missouri. the town people yeah, <laughs> that a cosmic explosion will rain fire on the town and that he is the only one that can save them from death. So he knows more than the generals. Ranger, Ranger Hobie Gilman attempts to prove Trump is a fraud. And while Dobkin appeared in three other episodes, uh, he never played the Trump character again. Um, but there is a uh, <laughs> there's a sample... Uh, dialogue. Okay. Already. Trump, I am the only one. Trust me. I can build a wall around your home that nothing will penetrate. Townsperson, what do we do? How do we save ourselves? You ask me how to build that wall. That's what you do. You ask me, and I'm here to tell you, I will fix it. Yeah. Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi. <laughs> I mean, it's real. Yeah. That yeah. is really true. So uh, I, I ran into this article in the Houston Press. Which I, was like a snarky, yeah, 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 a snarky. Uh, other characters that are just like Trump. All right, I, and I want you to try to guess. Let's do it as a minutiae quiz. Let's see if I can find it. And this is—we're not making any political statements no. here. This is just—you know—it's fun. It's here we go. Minutia quiz. Time now for a minutiae 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 quiz. So, Houston Press ran an article naming other characters they believe were similar to Trump. Which of the following characters was not on their list? Okay. All so, right. this is not like Trump. 
No, these are all ones that are like Trump. Right, but I got to guess the one that is that they didn't name as like Trump. Correct. Okay. All right. Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Okay, he's like Trump. Right. Um, Tommy from Goodfellas. That's the Joe Pesci character. Okay. All right. Uh, the bully Farkas from A Christmas Story. Speaking of which, we may be uh, having him on I know. shortly. And then the last one. Chester Cheeto from the Cheetos commercials. All right. Well, I think the Cheetos, the, I mean, if it's snarky, I'm going to have to say that that is. I would, no, fuck. I would have to go with the Joe Pesci character. I uh, know. That was the one that they said was most like him. Let's see what it says here. Goodfellas is one of America's cinema's best films about organized crime. and probably the movie that actor Joe Pesci is still known for. His role as psychopathic mobster Tommy DeVito is one of the film's most chilling characters. One thing that's clear about him, he doesn't have a sense of humor when it comes to himself. Well, that is true. Yeah. Being the butt of a joke right. enrages him. In fact, he'll shoot you and kill you. <laughs> yeah. So don't make like a spider. shoot you joke. Spider. Okay. Yeah. So that's not right. Okay. Um, well, Mr. Burns has to be. Mr. Burns is. Yes. Like, I yeah, mean, of course. Come on. Um, so it's either Farkas or Chester Cheeto. Well, I think Cheeto's too much like him. So I so I'd have to say Farkas. Yeah. That's the one that is not uh, not listed. But Farkas is going to be coming on our show. Zach, soon. Yeah. Zach Ward. We are in. Uh, we're in talks with uh, Zach Ward right now. Uh, here's what it says about uh, Chester Cheeto. It ain't easy being cheaty, cheesy, according to the early incarnation of the Cheetos mascot. The sunglasses-wearing orange cat went through a lot of different stages, just like Trump, but he was always a weird orange color. And in the late 80s, he appeared in a commercial sneaking up on a woman in a park. <laughs> Probably something else Donald Trump has done a time or two in their life. Now, this is not me talking. No, no. We're just. That's we're the just, Houston uh, press. Houston press. In Texas. And Texas is a red Texas state. So right. it's not even. Uh, well, very good. Yeah. Um, you know what? We got a winner. Oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. Winner. You know what the name of the winner is? Well, you wouldn't. But it's why you can. That's the name. Really? That's the Twitter handle. Why you can. And you know what? You can. You can win our Twitter contest very easy. Yeah. All you got to do is retweet and follow us on Twitter. Yep. And why you can picked up themselves safe inside by um, Lee Kingsmill, which is up for an award. We're going to win an award on Saturday, right? Right. Chicago Writers Association. An off-white Christmas. A um, little late in the Christmas season. but It's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful time- book. Timeless. And a crying Cub t-shirt in honor of the Cubs' lame offseason. <laughs> it has been pretty bad. Uh, so all of that will be going out to Why You Can. And again, all you got to do is retweet and follow us. And you can subscribe to us. Please subscribe to us. So you? you know why you subscribe? It gets, it's in your mailbox. It's you, seamless. You don't even have to it's, look for us. Absolutely. It's, all, it's already it's there. ding. You get one of those email notification yeah, like, oh, dings. Oh, good. And then this week's Manushaman is here. It's about time. Yeah, yeah, it's a, right, because it's, it's usually Thursday, sometimes Fridays, maybe yeah. Saturday. I, I think you know. Saturday is our day now, because we record on Thursday, so they come out on Saturdays, essentially. Oh, that's uh, Well, so there you go. That's very nice. Uh, any more for us? I do. Um this is a couple of things that are 
dear to my heart, back pain and semen. A man injects himself with his own semen to treat back pain. This is out of Ireland, Rick. Hey, rip out your Irish accent again. Go ahead. <laughs> Hello. It's, a, it's, it's my Lucky Charms. <laughs> okay, well, Lucky Charms, if you mean by Lucky Charms, it's your semen. An Irish medical journey, journal has warned the public of dangers of medical expecta- or experimentation after a man admitted injecting himself with his own semen to cure his back pain. Well, what do you think you're doing there, Nigel? <laughs> Nigel. <laughs> I, I wish I could do an Irish accent because it would be comedy gold. Uh, the case uh, detailed in this month's Irish Medical Journal involved a 33-year-old man, Jack Offy, <laughs> complained to his doctor. I of thought some- it was Jack Offy. <laughs> okay. Nope. Okay, you're right. Yeah. So, wow, you are just on fire. Yeah. Hey, what can I say? So he complained this, this, they don't give his real name. They com- he complained of severe onset lower back pain for days. And he decided, you know what? I'm going <laughs> to inject myself with my own semen and see if that helps. Well, what, what do you think he's thinking on that? Is it like a, um, if he injects it with that, you know, it'll... Uh, put more spring into it yeah. or, you know, harden his back or, hey, I, you know what? I really don't know what the rationale was, but I think what's interesting is he went online to get the hypodermic needles. He went online to buy them. You know, I don't know. I'm sure you can get hypodermic needles, yeah. but he didn't Kids go on, don't try this at home, but he didn't go online and check out WebMD <laughs> right. and say, you know what? That's not one of the options. To well, go he ahead. might have gotten this online right. somewhere. That's what I'm saying. Check Snopes. <laughs> uh, so uh, Mr. Offie or me Offie. Yeah. Um, it says that he did. His back pain is better, but obviously. So it worked. Well, I guess. You know what? Maybe it did. Yeah. Don't try it at home, kids. I don't care. But oh, before you hit the next, uh, doctors found that the semen had leaked into the soft tissue in his arm and caused this just god awful rash. Oh. Oh. So he may have something in the uh, in the semen. There might be like a Um, like a. I don't don't want to even think about it. Okay. All right. I won't be injecting it anymore. <laughs> it's time for uh, this little segment. A random name pulled out of Rurik's bowl of brushes with celebrities. Mixture. Collection. Selection. Assemblage. Medley. Assortment. Variety. Time now for Celebrity Potpourri with Rick and Dave. So this is the part of the show where Dave reaches his hand into the Costco jar and pulls out a name of a celebrity, and I have to tell the story of how I met that person and when I met him, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here, I'll do a little quiz for you. Southside guy. All right. I think big Cub fan, I think. Um, Rat Pack. Tom Dreesen. That's it. Tom, Tom Dreesen, yes. Tom Dreesen. He's a Cub fan, right? Oh, yeah, big time. Right. Big time. He, uh, oh, he's in Cub Sessions. He is. Right. He, and I've met him probably a dozen times. Oh, he's all over the place. Yeah, he's he's a great guy. He's appeared at a bunch of the Cubs events that uh, we've hosted over the years for our various different books. And he also is a good friend of John Landecker's. So we had him on Landecker Show many times. And, you know, there he would call in from, like, backstage at David Letterman. He You know, he was very open mm-hmm. with his time. He also uh, called us from Iraq once. When he was there entertaining the troops. But the story I remember the most is a story that he wanted to tell on the air about John from the 70s. And that was when he was doing a a comedy act at that time with Tim Reed. It was Tom and Tim. Tim Reed who became Venus Flytrap. The two of them were the first uh, multiracial, biracial uh, comedy team ever. And... 
they were doing their bit and heck and they're getting heckled a little bit by Landecker. And and Tom says to uh, Landecker, well, you know, why don't you come up here yeah. and do this? And Landecker did. Yeah. Got up there and uh, and apparently was terrible. <laughs> and and Dreesen said that he tells that story all the time to comedians around the country about why you should never get drunk at a comedy show. <laughs> so John is like... And never go on stage when you're drunk. Now, John doesn't drink anymore, but those were in his heavy drinking days, and he just thought he'd be funny. And, you know, it's... I guess he wasn't. Uh, it's not that easy to no. just hop up there and do that. Well, you know, Dobie Maxwell, one of our good friends, uh, yeah. he told me once that for every minute of a comedy bit, it takes, like, a month to to really hone it out and yeah. make, make it perfect. Now, some comedians don't do that. Right. But um, he says for him, it takes about a month for a minute. Yeah, I, that's true. Because I've seen some some comedian, like George Carlin was on our show once, and he was trying out material mm -hmm. that later became part of a HBO special. Well, wasn't that the HBO special about people dying? Yeah. Right, right yeah. before 9-11? Kind of like it when a lot of people die. <laughs> Right, yeah. and it was going to come on the week after nine eleven. Right? Yeah, and it got delayed a little bit, <laughs> but he still did the bit. Right, except he made it. Uh, you know, he didn't do he didn't do that line. Right, um, but uh, when he when I saw the special, I saw how how he had developed it. It was actually something that he worked on. Well, over he was time getting him. He was getting his at bats in. Right, he, he, he was, was coming on these it. radio shows, just, just owning it. Right, yeah. Albert Brooks used to call up uh, Stephen Geary all the time when he was just working out new material. He would be sitting at home and like, ah, I want to come on and talk about uh, such and such. And Stephen Gary would just let him come on and he would just go. And by the reactions of Stephen Gary, they probably goes, OK, that's funny. That's not funny, right. Whatever. Yeah. Right. It was the audience. Well, we go on like 38 podcasts a week to try out all of our material <laughs> yeah. before we do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like today when we just kind of showed up. Uh, all right, but we do have a uh, guest on the line. An Olympian. Uh, this is our first Olympian, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think, well, uh, yeah, Vito from The Sopranos, I don't believe, is yeah. an Olympian. All right, well, let's, uh, let's play the audio and bring him in. Time now for the Celebrity Minutia Minute. Hey, you got a minute? Celebrity Minutia Minute with Rick and Dave. Joining us now on the phone, Dave, we have our first time, for the first time ever on Minutia Men. An, an Olympian. An Olympian. Olymp a three-time Olympian, a former world record holder, National Track Hall of Fame member, a two-time medalist in the 72 and 76 Olympics, a sports broadcaster. Please. Far far better person than we are. <laughs> but many more accomplishments than us. Please welcome to the show, Dwight Stones. Thanks for being on the show, guys. Thanks for having me. So when you win an Olympic medal, I'm just going to launch right into it. When you win an Olympic medal, it's considered the greatest moment of your life. Has it been that way for you? Well, it's right up there. I mean, I won my first one at 18, so I didn't have a whole lot of experience at, at much of anything at that point. I had, a, I had a dream that was lit when I watched the 68 Olympics on TV when I was 14 and realized from the commentary that the next Olympics were in Munich in four years. They weren't at altitude and that the Olympics was pretty much the zenith for a track and field athletes because mm -hmm. there was no no professional outlet. So I said, okay, well then I guess I need to be on that team in four years, which shows the naivete of a, of a 14 year old. <laughs> well, you were in high school, right? I mean, or, uh, just barely. Yeah. yeah. Freshman, so, probably freshman. Just barely in high school. So, um, I was a sophomore. I was one of the youngest kids in my class, which didn't necessarily work to my advantage at the time. 
turned out okay but uh yeah, so, aren't you very tall I was I turned out being reasonably tall. Okay. I was six foot five when I was competing, but at that point when I had this dream I was five foot ten. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a little different. Yeah, and I'd only jumped five foot six. So uh when I went to my coach in, in, in high school and uh, sheepishly introduced myself <laughs> and wanted to know when track tryouts were, et cetera, and, and told him about this dream I had. <clears throat> Fortunately for me, he didn't crush it. Said, uh, <laughs> my okay. mother would have crushed it. Yeah, my mother yeah. too. <laughs> Uh, he said, "Okay, well, so let's get let's get to work." Now, I didn't know at the time, and it took me quite some time to for it to filter in uh, to the general conversation that my coach was an Olympic 800 meter runner. Oh wow, that's lucky! So once I realized that my senior year in high school, or it came to my knowledge that senior year in high school, I realized, wow, I mean, all I got to do is follow whatever this guy does. He's been where I want to go. That's how simple my plan was. And again, the naivete of, of, of thinking that that's all you have to do. That would put everybody on the Olympic team pretty much if you followed that plan. So um, it worked out beautifully as a freshman at UCLA. Just things fell into place. I won the Olympic trials. Uh, I set a world record for my age. And a couple months later, I jumped the same height and it won me a medal. So I'm standing up there watching the Soviet flag being raised and listening to the Soviet anthem and looking at the guy and going, in four years, I'm going to be standing where you're standing. Oh, wow. And uh, it didn't quite work out that way. I ended up standing in the exact same place four years later right. uh, for almost still, the exact same reason. You were still standing in the damn place. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So that's for all the kids listening out there. All you got to do is just go up to your coach <laughs> and four <laughs> years later, you're there. <laughs> Done. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so the 72 Summer Olympics, um, sadly... You know, those were the Olympics that had the tragic Israeli hostage crisis. You being Jewish, were you, well, what do you remember from that time? And were you worried about your safety? I mean, I remember, if maybe incorrectly, didn't Mark Spitz have bodyguards, I believe? I don't know. What, what do you remember from the 72, you know, Olympics? Well, I will tell you, first of all, I'm a convert, and I was not Jewish oh, at the time. Okay. And I was well, welcome very, to the uh, team. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm a member of the tribe. I've been a member of the tribe for more than 20 years. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I do recall, you know, my main motivation at those games was I was the youngest member of the team. Um, my own country picked me for 10th. The, the Germans picked me for second. Uh, no American high jumper had ever failed to medal in the Olympic Games. And I didn't have any faith in my two teammates. They were having a good old time in Munich. God bless uh, them. Beer. But, uh, they have lots of beer in Munich, yeah. right? Yeah. So I knew I was the I was the guy that was, um, you know, the standard bearer. And I was going to be uh, damned if I was not if I was going to be the first guy to, to not win a medal. And that was my goal. And when I did, once I did win a medal, I was there were only three of us left. I was one of them. Pretty much, I didn't know how to re immediately reset a goal. At 18, when you achieve something that is so huge, yeah. you think, okay, time to, you know, maybe let down a little bit. And I don't know if that changed anything, but I certainly did learn a very important lesson about having, you know, the next goal very much in mind and being able to implement whatever blueprint that you have in your head to, to try and make it happen. But as far as the massacre is concerned, it happened before my competition. All three Olympic Games, I competed the last two days at the Olympics, oh, okay. which makes it tough because you're sitting there watching your friends do well or do poorly and, and all the other pageantry of the Olympics, et cetera. It is really emotionally draining and you've got to keep it together because your competition is right at the end. And I remember my coach um, at the time, it wasn't my high school coach on the team, but the coach on the team looked at me that morning of the memorial and said, so what do you want to do? 
Uh, he says, I don't think they're going to cancel the games. And I said, no, I can't think they will either. He said, you've got to compete in four, four days. You've got qualifying. The, it's probably going to be standing room only, which is not the best thing for you to be doing. So what do you think? I said, I think we need, I think we need to work out, mm-hmm. which is what I did. And I prepared and I was relieved that the Olympics would continue. And, you know, it's a very selfish 18-year-old attitude. Sure. And uh, I went through and I did what I felt that I needed to do. I proved that I belonged there. And um, uh, I lived up to what my expectations were of myself and um, didn't really let the other stuff swirling around me um, affect me. They did have Mark, you know, whisked out of the area for mm-hmm. good reason. He was done. Um, he was just hanging out, enjoying himself and enjoying the Olympics. And they thought that was probably not a good idea for him to stick around. So they got him out of there. But um, and other athletes used the <clears throat> used the, the emotion of the of the massacre uh, as an excuse for why they didn't do well, and, and that's their own personal thing to do. That's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but um, the Olympics were changed forever, and I got to see both sides of it. I got to see before that it was very easy access to to the village. These guys didn't have to climb over the back fence at night trust me they could have just walked straight through the front yeah. gate if they just had a had a, a, a pair of sweats on and, yeah. and a bag yeah so uh, and that all changed everything changed by yeah. the time we're in montreal exactly. it was like a you know an armed prison camp and and for good reason let's face it we're a no, huge yeah. target and oh, it's, yeah. it's it's a damn shame but i got to at least see what the olympic games were like and were supposed to be like uh before all that happened mm. so i do i'm i'm thankful for that so in '76, they, they you were the favorite going into that. Uh, yeah, probably it, not a bigger favorite than me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think you were on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and people were predicting that you were going to go. Did you did you feel like the pressure of being the favorite was you know more difficult than being an unknown coming up from nowhere? Yeah, to some degree. I mean, I created that that pressure for myself because I'm a, a pressure performer. I'm a crisis manager, so that that works for me. And I like p- placing pressure on myself um, as publicly as possible because that draws more attention to what it is that I'm doing. It draws attention to my event, my sport. So that's sort of what I did. But I will tell you, I was much more nervous for the Olympic trials than I was for the Olympic Games because, um, frankly, I just kind of lost my mind after I set the world record at the NCAA meet, which is the reason I ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Um, I went in unknowingly. I don't know what I was thinking. I went into preparing for the Olympic Games, even though I knew better. I mean, I knew I needed to be at my at my peak at the Olympic trials, but I went into preparing for the Olympic Games mode, and I was doing a lot of, of, of overtraining type of stuff, and I don't even know why I was doing it. And I was a little out on the flat side at the Olympic trials, and I knew it i just kept it to myself and focused and i frankly skimmed over every single height by mm-hmm. the thinnest of margins and ended up finishing second but i could have very easily um not made that team yeah, because wow. of what i had done in training it was scary when i look back on said you really you just lost your mind but it did prepare me beautifully for the olympic games and i would have been the first to ever set a world record in the olympic games i'm certainly i certain i would have done that had there been <clears throat> um normal conditions not raining and i set the world record for Four days afterwards, so I was I was the most ready I probably certainly had ever been in my life at that point. And then, well, eighty of course there was the boycott, and then in eighty four, yeah. um, you were the first athlete to be both a competitor and an announcer. And knowing broadcasters like we do, 
did you get a pushback from our egotistical, you know, he can't do it. You know, he's just an athlete. Uh, well, we, uh, we kind of kept that to ourselves. And because in 1984, uh, computers were not as sophisticated as they are now, um, I actually knew that there could be a potential problem. I was pretty sure that it was not really allowed. And I, at that time in my life, especially, I, I uh, employed the ask for forgiveness, not mm-hmm. permission yeah. way of doing everything. Yeah. So as an athlete, I, I couldn't. Uh, manipulate my name in any way. I had to have my name spelled correctly, but in my credential for ABC television, I had them leave the S off the end of my last oh, name. So I was Dwight Look at Stone, you. Good. And Dwight Stone's on. So by the time they caught on, because, you know, tracks the second week. So um, I, I, of course, kept it to myself. <laughs> and by the time I was actually on the air for a couple of days and they figured out what had happened, it was really too late. Oh, that's so, awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was kind of great. And it was perfect for me because. I need to be busy and not have idle time on my hands because what I will do is overtrain. When you're in that kind of shape, you know, you're running fast, you have all the rest you want, you're lifting heavy, but it's just for singles, so you're not sore. It's the best shape that you're in, and you only get to do it for two or three weeks, Mm -hmm. and it's what you work the whole year for, and it feels so good, and it's so much fun, and it's hot, and you've got your shirt off, and... (laughs) You know, you, yeah. somebody needs to pull you off the track. You're yeah. speaking a language that we are just not, we don't understand here at this point. You know what? You guys know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Please. Since day you know, one. It, it, it was good that I only had a small window each day to train because that way it assured that I would not overtrain. And it, it worked, worked out beautifully. I was very well prepared. I mean, the Olympic trials, of course, couldn't have gone better. I ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated mm-hmm. again. I set the American record at 30. And I was a favorite to medal. People were saying I was a favorite to win. I said, stop that i'm not the favorite to win i'd like to medal again that would be great no high jumpers ever medaled three times and i unfortunately had one miss at seven six with hit it with my elbow and it didn't stay on and i jumped the same height as third but i ended up fourth so uh oh. that was unfortunate but i jumped very well i jumped one inch below the american record i jumped four inches higher than i'd ever jumped in the olympic games at home in front of ninety-two thousand yeah. people that was pretty strong oh, well awesome. you were one of the first uh, track and field stars uh in my lifetime i'm 55 years old and i hate to admit this but i was first introduced to you not necessarily from track and field but from the show superstars on television sure which was uh you know all the kids watched it it was fantastic you competed against athletes in other sports and various different and if i if i remember correctly you did very well on that show didn't you I did, especially since they took the running events away from me, um, which uh, I won't I won't go into too long a story. I was just thinking about this in the spa the other night, <clears throat> which I think about this more often than I should. But um, <laughs> I, I was basically given a green light to go ahead and do that. And then I could divert the money from that I would win to the charity of my choice, quote, charity of my choice, which could include my my track club, unquote. Yeah. OK, but gotcha. I was told you can't run the running events. I said, that's ridiculous. I'm a high jumper. Why should I not be able to run the hundred? And the 800. Yeah, I said, really. If using that logic, I said I shouldn't be able to do the obstacle course, which has hurdles, right, right. a high jump, yeah. and a long jump. And he said, don't push it. I said, okay, all right, all right, all right. I didn't mind giving up the 100. Probably I wasn't going to score, score a point in that anyway, maybe one. But the 800, that was a huge blow because yeah. I would have won the 800. So I trained for it. I'd run 205 in practice, 219 ended up winning it. Oh. So I lost 10 points there. I was forced to run another event, which I didn't do well at. So I ended up second by five points. Who so won it? won the thing. A guy named Wayne Grimditch, who's actually a, quite a good friend. He was a water skier oh geez. he actually was a, a water skier in the um 
exhibition water skiing event in Munich when he was 16. So we were actually in the same Olympics together, unknowingly. Cool. And he was a good little athlete, good tennis player and good swimmer and just an all-around good athlete. And uh, he was very consistent throughout the competition, could do a lot of the things. And he ended, he ran 219 to win the 800. I sat back there just grinding my teeth watching that. <laughs> and uh, you So know, you took it thing. seriously. I mean, it was like... Oh, uh, very. I a mean, lot of money. Yeah, I know. Well, uh, Howard Cosell was one of the was announcers, it, I remember. And was OJ? Did you compete against OJ? Was OJ in that? Yeah. Uh, no, he was before me. He was just before okay. me. Bob Seeger and the pole vaulter won it the first two years. And I think OJ may have won it the third year. And they really wanted football players to do well in it, obviously. Right. And after a track guy won it twice, yeah. they really needed to start to scramble <laughs> yeah, right. and try to skew things a little bit so that the football guys would do Right. Yeah, there's a lot more weightlifting competitions after that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, I, was, I took it seriously. I, I had suffered from people telling me, boy, it's a good thing that you can do this this freak skill that you can do because nobody would know that you were an athlete otherwise and even yeah. though i knew better yet those kinds of those kinds of comments from your peers do hurt and i thought with the events that were available and then i had to pick seven of them i said you know i do a lot of these kinds of things or something similar to them i think i do really well in this and i trained very seriously for it and i did very well in it it raised my profile it also got me kicked out of my sport but it oh. also raised the profile of how, what the hypocrisy of uh, amateurism and professionalism yeah, yeah. in our sport was too and i i i, I take great pride in having <laughs> a lot to do with changing things good for you um you still seem to be in great shape uh how old are you now? You must be sick. How I uh, started uh, started using Medicare last month. As that a boy. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you. Actually, quite a milestone. <laughs> uh, um, do you still jump around the backyard? You know, do you go to like those trampoline parks and you, and you show off for the kids yeah, at all? You know, over them a little uh, bit. Yeah, you know, where all those, those hygiene pits are set up in all the regular parks. Unfortunately, not available right now because of the shutdown. But yeah, you can, you know, pole vault and high jump and throw javelins and everything at any park in the United States. So that's why it makes it so easy for for uh, those skills to be learned by the general Can you public. Uh, no, I do not jump. I've been taking jump probably in 15 years, but I do coach it. I coach uh, high school athletes in, in the event. I, I get tremendous enjoyment out of that and um, have done that now for, gosh, it's been 26 years that I've been coaching. And you're still um, on, on the air as well, right? You're, as a, yes. As a matter of fact, I just uh, got a renewal of my uh, my ESPN contract, so I'll Good be uh, boring people no. to tears for the next two years. No. Well, we really appreciate you coming on with us. Um, yeah, and, thanks a lot. Tony. And, you know, best of success to you. Uh, thanks for the memories. Uh, thanks for the uh, for those superstar days and the, the Olympics and, and and doing so well for our country. Oh, I enjoyed it very much. Believe me, it was my pleasure. Yeah, thank you, and much health to you, Dwight. Thanks right, for coming James. on. Thanks, thanks bye for bye. having me on. Bye bye. So, thank you very wow. much, Dwight Stones. Good guy. Just good. Nice, nice man. Uh, you know, we're going to be back again next week. We've right. got more stuff going on. We've got lots of other celebrity guests coming up. If all goes well, we'll have Adam Greenberg next week. Adam Greenberg, I believe. That is a. A minutia guest. Yes. Uh, but for Cub fans, yeah. they pretty much know who Adam Green all right. is. Well, uh, if, if you. you don't know, uh, we'll, we'll tell you all about for it Google. next week. Uh, we have been produced by Tony Lozano of uh, Opie Productions. With a new mixing or with an all new software and stuff. Yes, right? it's very nice. Uh, we are uh, distributed by Ed Silo, the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And we will be back again next week with another episode of Minutia Man. <laughs>
The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Lasano and Friends. Family travel with Colleen Kelly. So, Colleen. Yes. You used to be on my little TV show. Remember I those days? I was. I was. You were my big break. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. Thank you. I know that's sad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I remember when I walked in, I remember I was really nervous meeting Tony. He was sitting in this white chair and he looked real important. I have a, oh, that I had so a throne. Then I found out he wasn't. Lasano and Friends. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com